Hey guys, and welcome to the third episode of the Reborn Football Podcast. You're here with Fuego and Tans. So today we're going to do what we do in most of the episodes. So we're going to start with our versity episode. And then we're going to dive into some football content. So some stuff from this weekend's Premier League fixtures. And then we're also going to talk about our favorite and least favorite transfers of this transfer window, as well as some stuff around the Mbappe saga that most of you probably know is going on if you follow football. But um, I'm going to hand over to Tans now and we're going to start with that verse. Uh, so this week's verse of the episode is First Thessalonians 5, verse 22, which is simply reject every kind of evil. Yeah, so um, this just came to my mind earlier today when I was just thinking about what we wanted to talk about today. And what came to mind was the story of Joseph. So for those of you who don't know the story of Joseph in the Bible, Genesis 39 tells a bit of the story of Joseph. He was um, one of 12 children who his brothers disliked and because he was his father's favorite. He was sold into slavery in Egypt and he ended up being a slave in Potiphar's house. So he was a man who kind of feared God, served God, loved God and you know, he did everything according to the will of God. And therefore, you know, he was favored. Um, in Potiphar's house, he became the head of all the slaves. He became the head of everything in Potiphar's household. And there was a point at which Potiphar's wife began to notice him and took a liking to him. And at that point, then she was kind of enticing him and trying to get him to sleep with her. And, you know, there were multiple occasions where she made passes at him and he turned her down saying that, you know, Potiphar has trusted me with everything in this house and the only thing that he keeps away from me is you because you're his wife. Um, and it got to a point one day where Joseph was alone in the house with Potiphar's wife. She grabbed him, literally grabbed his clothes. And, you know, this is where this verse comes in. He literally ran. He ran to the point where his clothes, like she tore the clothes off of his body and he just ran that he's not going to allow anybody to be able to say that, oh, he did this, he did that, you know, so that nothing could come back to him. At the end of the day, she framed him and said that he tried to, even though he didn't. He went to prison. Um, just fast-forwarding the story, he rose through the ranks in prison again um, to the point where he was called upon by the the leader of, I think it was the pharaoh, the pharaoh, and he basically became the prime minister of one of the most, if not the most powerful country at the time when there was a famine and Egypt had an abundance of food. So people were coming from different countries, including his own family members, to come and buy food from Egypt. So I think what I wanted to kind of pull from that story and from that verse in particular is that you don't wait for temptation. You don't, when you see it from afar, you see it close you don't kind of, you know, play with it. You don't play with the idea that something could go wrong or you could be kind of tripped up by something. So you see something that, you know, could easily kind of cause you to fall into sin. You run away from it like Joseph ran. You don't take care for anything that you have there, anything that, you know, could maybe give you comfort. You're more comfortable staying here, even though there's something there that could kind of cause you to sin you just 
avoid it at all costs and run if you have to. So yeah, I think that's my take on that. Um, yeah, that is that's a really interesting story, and it's it's really funny because you know in that situation, Joseph Joseph had every no right is not the word because he didn't have the right to sleep with another man's wife, but like you know a lot of a lot of guys a lot of guys in that same situation would have fallen, you know, but he didn't fall, and you know temporarily he was actually punished for not falling because you know she now turned around and said that oh. You know, he tried. He tried to, well, for lack of a better phrase, he tried to move to her, this and that. You know, and he ended up having to go to prison for it. But in the end, you know, he ended up as Femi saying, becoming the prime minister of the country. You know, at the end of the day, even though in that moment him doing the right thing seemed like the wrong thing, you know, in the long term, it was it was a positive outcome for him and his and his life. You know, so. It's it kind of it can be like that in the temptations we face in everyday life as well, you know. It can seem like in the moment that that's the right thing to do, you know. But in the end, you know, it will always be the it will always be the in the end. It's always right to flee from temptation, and you know, to focus on the right things of God. Yeah, and just to add there, there is a reward for those who kind of obey God's commandments. So we see there. That's the commandment. Now, it's even funny the way that that commandment is in the New Testament and the story of Joseph is in the Old Testament. It just shows how the Bible is all interconnected that even before that was maybe something that Joseph could read, you know, because he loved God and he served God. He knew that that was something that he needed to do to flee from all temptation. But we see that, yeah, in the moment, it may have seemed like the right thing to do, do it so that she keeps quiet and nothing happens. And of course, he was framed and he was um, wrongly, imprisoned for it but there's a reward for those who serve god diligently because even though he had to go through some different experiences that you know nobody wants to go through those built him and got him ready for the reward which was the responsibility that god gave him over such a great nation at the end of the day so yeah i think i think that's that's that yeah so I think we'll move into the football content now. And uh, the main thing we wanted to focus on this week is the the transfer window. So the transfer window this summer has been interesting. And we just want to talk about, you know, our favorite transfers, the transfers we think are definitely going to succeed, the ones that, you know, we're less sure about. And then we'll end the, end the episode with, you know, slight link, but a bit of a deviation when we talk about the Kylian Mbappe saga. So I'll start with, you know, a few of my favorite transfers of the summer so far. So firstly, as an Arsenal fan, you know, the Declan Rice transfer, it's one that I've personally wanted for my club for a couple of years now. And, you know, I think it's just a, I think it's just a perfect fit, not just like on the pitch with, you know, what he can bring, you know, one he can bring to our starting lineup, but you know, it's clear that he has a good relationship with the coach Arteta already. And, you know, he's ready to learn. He's learning quickly. He's getting better with every game already. So I think that's a that's a transfer that, you know, that's gonna be that's gonna go down as a success. Now, being, you know, living up to a hundred and five million pounds is really difficult, no matter how, you know, how good you are as a player. But you know, I think he has the ability to do that. 
So, Femi, maybe you could tell us about your favorite transfer for your club this season. Um, so from my club, I wouldn't necessarily say I have a favorite transfer because, like, I think Pep's only brought three players in. He's let about five people go. Is it five? Four people go. A couple key players as well, you know, Mares, Gunnar. Yeah, Mares, Gunnar, uh, Laporte has just moved to Al Nasser there in the last week. Um, and I know Jao Cancelo is on his way out as well. Oh, yeah, to Barca, yeah, that yeah. came out today. Um, is that is that confirmed? Um, it, there's what's it called? It's not fully confirmed, but there was okay. a like, they I think they're getting closer to a full yeah. agreement. Um, but in terms of the additions now, I know he's brought in Kovacic from Chelsea. He's brought in Josko Guardiol from Leipzig, and then just there in the last week, we talked about the last episode. Jeremy Doku has just been signed as well. On you sub on Saturday. Am I right to say Saturday? Sorry, no, not Saturday. That was yesterday, Sunday. So, on you sub yesterday, um, Jeremy Doku, but he's still a very interesting player. I'd say he's probably the most interesting of the three, seeing as he is an attacker. He's a fast winger, and he's somebody that... See, you haven't had a fast winger in a while since... Obviously, since Sterling kind of left. It's and more been... And Sunny. that's true. It's been more kind of technical wingers in the likes of when Bernardo plays out wide or... Grealish for drawing fouls or folding for just I don't even know what you call folding. You wouldn't really call him technical. He's just there. He's it's it's hard to explain that one there. But I think he brings Doku brings a different kind of element to the attack that I don't think we've had since Sterling, which would be interesting to see how Pep uses that this season. So I'd say that's probably the most interesting signing for me for City this this window. Now, I mean, looking at other clubs, um, a signing that I touched on last week, but I think has, you know, the ability to be really, you know, really positive for Man United is the signing of Mason Mount. Now, I did say last week that, you know, although it is, it is right now, obviously, it's the, it's the trend to, you know, hate on Mason Mount for every single thing that he does. And he is injured at the moment. But as I said last week, I do feel that, you know, if he's successful this season and if Eric Ten Hag can get the best out of him, then it will really raise the level of the <laughs> raise the level of the Man United squad because of the Man United starting eleven because you know he works really hard and he he obviously has the ability to get mm. goals and assists. You know he has shown that before. Obviously, it wasn't a great season for him last season. You know injuries and you know just in that kind of Chelsea you know debacle of last season. But I think if if Eric Ten Hag can get the best out of him, then I think Mason Mount could be a really good signing for United this season. I think there's another kind of recency bias kind of gets a lot of football fans where a player has not even like a bad season, but even a bad patch when they're kind of one of the main characters at their club and you're like, oh, this player is washed, this player is finished. Um, I know I heard a lot of that about Sterling uh, prior to him leaving City and even for the whole of last season when he was at Chelsea. But we saw there on Friday, it's still the same Sterling. Like those players are still in in those people. It's not a thing of like they've lost their talent or anything like that. Sometimes it is just a thing of giving them time and they will gain their confidence back and all that stuff. Honestly, I don't think Mount has hit a patch where he's lost his confidence. I just think it's a thing of it's a poor run of form for a little while that he's going to, obviously get over and hopefully be a useful asset for Manchester United. 
in particular from that Chelsea team as well, because, you know, it was last season was just, obviously it was a really weird season for them. You know, their lowest Premier League finish in at least like 20, probably like at least 30 years, something like that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of those players were quite evidently underperforming, but wasn't all their fault. You could see that it was clear that like, you know, they didn't really have a man, a manager. They had they went through like three or four managers last season. Yeah. They didn't really have, you know, a style of play that was getting the best out of, you know, out of all their players. So I feel like a lot of Chelsea players that were underperforming last year, you know, especially the ones that have real quality. The ones that have real quality, you know, if you can put them in a system where they where they can succeed, you know, Mount, uh, Kovacic, Havertz, and then even at Chelsea, Sterling, you know, um, Enzo Fernandez, I think we'll see a lot better from these type of players, you know, this season. Even um, Karani Chukomeka, who had a really good performance against mm-hmm. West Ham last week, unfortunately, you know, came down with another injury. And that could even be another topic, you know, a lot of teams that went to the US um, and played on kind of like their half, like artificial pitches or whatever. A lot of those teams have had players come down with serious knee injuries. So mm-hmm. that could be another topic, but yeah, you know, Chelsea, you know, a lot of Chelsea players, you should just, I don't think you should take what happened last season as, you know, what should be the norm. That's, that was a, a real, what's the word, anomaly. Yeah, yeah. Um, another two people in particular that I'm thinking about are uh, championship bounce players, so uh, James Ward-Prowse and James Madison, funny enough, two Jameses. Um, I think... Madison is definitely the type of player that Tottenham haven't had for a while that they're looking for, that they need. I think it's just unfortunate that it's when he came that Kane has left because him and Kane would have been a yeah. very, very, That would very, have been a wonderful partnership. Man. Yeah. Um, obviously, he got his first goal there against Bournemouth. Um, nicely taken goal. I did see the move. It was just a very clever kind of through ball there. And he literally just had to touch it. It wasn't it wasn't a difficult goal or anything like that. But I think this could be a very good season for him. And hopefully for Tottenham, if they're able to fill that hole that Harry Kane has left, I think Ward Prowse kind of just slotted straight into that West Ham starting eleven. I don't know how he did it because he I think his first I don't remember if it was a goal or an assist that he got in his first championship game there at the start of the month. But he, he doesn't seem to have slowed down even with, you know, being relegated and then coming into the West Ham team. I think he's done quite well so far and I hope I hope to see more of that from him as well. Um another another transfer that I'm really big on is Harvey Barnes to Newcastle. Um I've always been a fan of Harvey Barnes. I like his um I like his directness. You know, if you put him in the right positions, he will get goals, he will get assists, you know, even at Leicester. You know, a couple of years back, I think um, 2021, he had a serious injury and, you know, it was it was reported that he was on the verge of, you know, going to um, the Euros or at least making the provisional like 30-man squad before they now whittled it down to the, 20, to the 26-man squad. You know, so if Harvey Barnes can, you know, with the quality at Newcastle, Isak, you know, Almiron, Bruno Gimaresh, you know, all these players, you know, can create chances for him. And, you know, I love I love when the ball goes out to him out wide and he's one-on-one with the defender. And you just know that, you know, he's about to excite, he's about to get you off your seat, you know, try and, you know, make something happen, whether it's a goal, an assist, or, you know, even just, you know, beating his man. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's gonna be I think that's gonna be a very positive signing for um I think that's gonna be a very positive signing for Newcastle. Uh last one that I'm gonna bring up. I don't remember if we touched on this in a previous episode, but that David Raya um deal is probably the best bit of business that I've seen this transfer window, even for the past maybe year, because it's kind of an option for both player and club where Arsenal don't need to pay a crazy amount of money right now because it's a loan deal. Um, And I would believe that they're not covering 100% of his wage bill either. So that's financially good for them where they don't need to worry about a massive transfer fee until next summer if they decide to buy him. And then secondly, for him, because it's a loan deal, it's the type of thing where if he doesn't get joy, he can cut out at the end of the season as well. So it's not, I don't think it's going to hamper his or harm his uh, development as a footballer if he doesn't actually get that number one spot over Ramsdale, which I don't think he's going to get because Ramsdale is playing some very good football at this at this moment in time. And I think the competition is healthy for the two of them. So it's not going to harm his development, in my opinion, because it's just going to be a year as a number two, maybe playing some cup matches and stuff like that. But being able to kind of um, have that competition there with two goalkeepers who are equally good enough to play as a number one for Arsenal. So that's one that's quite interesting for me. Um, Another transfer that, you know, this one might not be as popular, but this is... Um, Alex Scott to Bournemouth. Um, I seen a few of his clips last season in the in the championship for I believe Bristol City. Yeah, and you know he's he's got some talent, man. You know he can beat a man. You know create a goal, create an assist. He's got um, he's got a type of dribbling style that I really like. You know, kind of he kind of remind me of um, Emil Smith Rowe when he was fit and firing. You know, so I think that could be a real coup for um, Bournemouth if they if if he hits the ground running. Yeah, um, I know. Yeah, I remember hearing about him uh, FA Cup kind of times last season, where you know, even even the Premier League teams, the big Premier League teams, uh, were finding it difficult to try and keep him quiet. So he is an exciting player. Who you know. I would think is someone who's going to take his take his chance at the Premier League. Oh yeah, another big one actually. Um, Onana for Man United. That's yeah. a that's a huge transfer for them, man. It's a huge transfer, right? Because there's 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 hype around it, and no doubt he's a he's a top quality goalkeeper. But I don't know about this transfer, honestly. Um, obviously preseason is preseason. You're allowed to make mistakes and all that stuff, but. I don't know if you saw the the cannonball meme going going around on. I think it was Instagram that I ended up seeing it on. Oh, is it the one where they the the preseason the the guys go nah, from the halfway it's not, line? It's not even it's not even the halfway line one. It's the you know in the first match of the season where he he basically oh, punched yeah, someone the in the penalty, head. Yeah, the one that should have been a that penalty. That should have been a penalty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That uh, is so funny the way they were like. Uh, run and do a cannonball, <laughs> and they're like, and he, he's like, okay, but when when do I do? They say, oh, we'll tell you when to, we'll tell you when to cannonball. And it's like run, and then you see him running, and a cannonball, he jumps off and he, he just punches him in the head. It's like, nah, uh, I mean that that was poor, but like you know, in terms of upgrade on what they had before, that might be like the biggest upgrade of the summer because like coming toward the end of David de Gea's United career, like 
it was pretty clear, you know, like, I mean, it's been clear for a few years that like with the whole modern, you know, at, you know, goalkeeper having to be good with the ball at their feet, yeah. it's been pretty clear for like a few years by, that he wasn't up to task, but like he was still making a lot of really good saves, et cetera, et cetera. But it even got to the point where like, you know, he was letting, letting goals in that he didn't used to let in before. You know, a lot of United fans, you know, have been complaining and wanting a replacement for years. You know, you'd even go on social media and just see random United fans scouting random goalkeepers because <laughs> they were that desperate. But, you know, I think Onana, you know, how good he is on the ball, Ajax education, Barcelona mm-hmm. education, you know, so that's, I think that's really important for United. And then obviously as well, you know, he is good, you know, saving the ball. He does have, he does have a high profile mistake in him. But I think we all kind of know that. But at the same time, with your goalkeeper these days, you know, I th- I feel like with your goalkeeper, especially for the top clubs, you're willing to you're willing to take that one high profile mistake mm-hmm. for how the overall, like you know, being able to be good with the ball at your feet, etc., how it improves your team. But then you also kind of think to that that uh, like say for example, if I'm looking at City for myself, I wouldn't think Edison is the best goalkeeper. Like he makes some very good saves, but at the same time, he's not called upon as often because I don't even think it's just a defense at this point. The defense and midfield protect him. So, do United have a system where their defense and midfield are gonna give Onana the level of protection that the mistake kind of gene in him is not going to be called upon as much because you see where like when you see Edison or Allison make a mistake, it's like a big mistake, but that's only because there are very few times that they're called upon. So most of the time they're, they're comfy and that there may be one or two little mistakes that they would make. And even at that, it doesn't come every match. So I feel like teams like Liverpool and City kind of have a structure in place where the keeper is somewhat protected. And that really isn't an issue for them. So they don't mind. But for for a team like United, where honestly, I don't think, even with injuries right now, Luke Shaw is Luke Shaw is out. And you've got this thing where have they got a back four that they're kind of, they can rely on as such that every week Ten Hag can say these four players are on the team sheet and he's satisfied that they're going to do a good defensive job 100% yeah. of the time. The thing is, right, yeah, like, not yet, but at the same time, like, at the same time, they had to upgrade the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. even if they don't quite have the, um, even if they don't quite have the the infrastructure around the goalkeeper yet, they still had to up, to upgrade it. Because if you, if you even look in, you know, recent years of teams that have taken a big leap, um, City when they bought Edison, mm-hmm. Liverpool when they bought Allison, us when we bought um, Ramsdale, you know, and then you even look at you look at teams that haven't made that up that you know that big step in recent years. You know, actually Chelsea did make that big step uh, temporarily when they bought Mendy. Yeah, you know, so like having a goalkeeper that is really good on the ball, etc. You know, it's it's a really high floor raiser. You know, it raises the technical floor of your team because it takes your team from being like 10 outfield players and one goalkeeper to really being like 11 football players in possession, you know? So I think that while like United might not have the structure around Onana yet to really make it, you know, top quality, but the fact that he's there means that it's going to make life easier for other players. And then, you know, even though you could even look at it in the, on the flip side that because he's there and he's comfortable on the ball, 
it allows them to keep the ball more, mm-hmm. which means that there would be less of those opportunities for him to make a mistake. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. I was just thinking there when you talked about Chelsea, uh, with Kepa going on loan to Madrid, Madrid. and then... Sanchez, Robert Sanchez from Brighton. Yeah, because I, I didn't realize that they had signed Sanchez. Um, that's that's an, another interesting one to kind of look at because that's literally none of the keepers that they had last season are there anymore as kind of first or second choice. But maybe that's one just to, just to keep an eye on. Um, I'm not sure there's much to touch on uh, in terms of this weekend's football. Uh, United made a... A very interesting comeback. Liverpool also a very yeah. heroic comeback as well. Arsenal almost did, but you know, um, yeah, we couldn't finish our dinner, so, so you know, it's not easy. Uh, but Chelsea played really well at the weekend. Tottenham yeah, as yeah. well. You know, City. You know, didn't have the smoothest of games, but they got the three points in the end. Absolutely stunner from Rodri, by the way. You know. Um. I think I was just looking at kind of the build-up to the Rodri goal uh, for the few minutes before it. I can't if he was, he was it that even scored Sheffield's goal that um, Jaden Bogle. Jaden Bogle had like a 20-minute cameo and he actually held it down quite well. Um, but I noticed Kyle Walker was pretty much the person who made the mistake that led to the Jaden Bogle goal. He was kicking himself. He was pissed. Like he... Um, you know the electronic kind of like barrier thing? Yeah. That will be shown all the ads. Oh, yeah. I've seen him kicking it. Yeah. He, he broke it. Like he actually, like there was a little, you know, the way that it has like static kind of yeah. um, display on it. He, he literally stamped it and broke it. And then maybe like three or four minutes later, he was just there um, darting down the right wing, even for the Rodri goal. I think the ball was crossed into the box and it missed everybody. And Larishi was on the other side and he was trying to kind of, um, guide the ball out but Kyle Walker was on his back and he didn't give up on the ball that's something that I really admired about that there that he made a mistake and instead of kicking himself that oh we're gonna we're not gonna get the three points anymore that I've basically wasted the game for the team he kept going that shows kind of the the character, character yeah. um, the kind of experience that he has there and it's probably the reason why he is he's the vice captain there um, so he's um, leadership structure it confuses me so much. Yeah, I'm like, it's confused like, me for years. I'm like Pep, I feel like Pep has this uh, love for Ruben Diaz that nobody can actually understand. He's a very vocal and very kind of um, leadership type player. Is he not part? He's part of the leadership. He's group, part right? of the leadership yeah. group, but it was kind of weird when, say, I think it's two seasons ago or three seasons ago, when we still had the likes of Fernandinho was there. Um, so Fernandinho was captain, Gunawan was vice. I think we had Aguero was number three, but he was always injured. Sterling was number four. Kyle was number five. Rodri was, and De Vrijna was number six or something like that. But then at some point, whenever he bought Diaz, Diaz was now just slotted in there that you don't see Fernandinho, you don't see Gunawan. Diaz is wearing armband. And I'm looking at, I see Kyle Walker on the pitch. Sterling, I see Sterling, Sterling on, on the, the pitch. pitch. I see De Vrijna on the pitch. And I was like, what's going on? Now, the, the whole CE captain thing is actually very funny because over the past, like, five, six years, like, when I first started watching Boy, yeah, um, Vincent Company was that captain. Mm-hmm. He was that captain for years. Yeah. He was always company captain, Yaya Tori vice captain. That's all I knew mm-hmm. for City. So, I, I, you, you'd see Yaya Tori with, with the armband, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, company's not playing. But then as soon as company left, 
you know, company left. He was the captain. Then I think the season, David Silva was David the captain, was and captain. then he left. And then um, Fernandinho was the captain mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and then he left. Aguero was a vice captain. He left. Sterling was a vice captain at a point. He mm-hmm. left. You know, now Gundogan's left. You know, is Kevin De Bruyne going to leave this season? I don't. I don't even know. I think like his injury is probably going to. The second half of the season is going to tell us what what happens to him for the rest. Wait, De Bruyne, De Bruyne's club captain, right? I believe so. They they haven't they didn't announce anything, but I believe so because um, Pep started him. Yeah, he was one the one wearing at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he wasn't a hundred percent when he started him. So I think that's part of the reason why. Mm. But yeah, City's City's uh, leadership structure is a bit is a bit bulky. Like they're all leaders, so everybody who's in there should be in there. But like the order is a bit bulky in my opinion. Uh, moving on to another captain, talking about the captain of the French national team, Kylian Mbappe. And he has had he has had a lot of commotion and turbulence in his career yeah. over the past two to three years. You know, he's you know signed that ridiculous contract. Was it last year? You mm-hmm. know, he's wanted he's, he's clearly wanted to go around Madrid. Earlier this summer they were talking about him going to Saudi Arabia, signing one ridiculous contract and then just it? just being allowed to go to Seven hundred and fifty mil for one year. Yeah, I think it was like wasn't like thirteen million a, a week or something like that, man. It's crazy money, bro, anyways, bro. But you know, it's clear that he's kind of bringing like an NBA style player power type of you know oh, dynamic, yeah. you know, to football. You know, um, the fact that PSG though even offered that contract, you know, maybe it's it's a wider issue of PSG in itself mm-hmm. because. I don't think you understand how damaging it would be for PSG's brand to if, lose him. if Kylian Mbappe leaves. Because Kylian Mbappe is literally the prince of Paris. He's, mm. the, he's France's best player. I'm pretty sure he was born in Paris. You know, France, uh, sorry, PSG already have a problem with getting the local Parisian players. For some reason, you know, they just don't, they just don't take advantage of a really hot, you know, really high hotspot for talent. You know, so if Mbappe was to leave, you know, I feel like Mbappe leaving is probably worth the money that they paid him. Or maybe close. I don't know, like maybe close to the money that they're paying him. I, I don't even know. Um, because there are knock-on effects other than obviously the money is it's a big financial kind of burden that they won't have anymore. Mm. But you know, you need to think about shirt sales. You need to you think know, I literally about, have an Mbappe jersey at home, like mm, you know. that that type of thing. There are a lot of different things that go into like image rights, all of that stuff. Uh, are things that are just gonna lose their money as soon as Mbappe goes. As soon as he goes, but there's a thing that I'm noticing about him that he's he's a main character and he knows it. Yeah, but he kind of I don't know how to explain it, but he has like. His ego is probably, he has probably the biggest ego in football right now. Yeah. Rightly so, because he proves it on the pitch. So it's not just rubbish where he's signing these crazy contracts, making these crazy demands, making for these nothing. threats for no reason. Like he's delivering on the pitch. So it's the type of thing where the PSG kind of rejects were training with each other and he was there because they're like, you're not going to play if you're deciding to act like this. But he's already back in, he's already back training with the first team and playing. And scoring the first team. goals. Exactly. Uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's a thing where, with football in particular, you know, like the players are going to know 
who the players know who's the best player on the team. Mm-hmm. If you've played football before, you know who the best player on the team is. You know who the good players on the team is. And then you know who, like, you know, who's not so good. If a guy had Mbappe's ego and he wasn't performing, he wouldn't be able to get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, he does back it up on the pitch. But sometimes you do have to wonder where, you know, it might just be a little too much. Mm-hmm. Like, where, where does it stop? Where yeah. do you draw the line you between... Know. Um, ethically kind of well football is not even ethical at all because where where's the money <laughs> where's the money coming from at the end of the day but um yeah because eventually Mbappe is gonna get bored like he's been you know it doesn't seem like long but Mbappe is what 24 at this point yeah and he made his World Cup debut at 19 19 at that point he was already pretty much a yeah like PSG he, first team yeah, player yeah so he's been a, he's been around kind of doing it at the level that he's doing it now for about five, six years. And whereas we kind of still remember Mbappe as this 19-year-old who scored loads of goals at the World Cup on his World Cup debut and won the World Cup on his World Cup debut. Um, it has been a while. Like, six years is no joke. Like, six years from now, Mbappe is what? Mbappe is 30. Oh, yeah, almost 30, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. You know, so, like, with Mbappe, yeah, like, the thing is, right, a lot of people say he's got to move now because PSG have no chance of winning the Champions League. But, you know, the funny thing about that that I actually say, like, in response to that is that it would actually mean a lot more for Mbappe to win the Champions League at PSG. Mm-hmm. You know, hometown, you know, the, 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 the best club in his country. You know, he's already brought home a World Cup for his country, bringing home a Champions League for his city. That would make him mortal in France if he if he isn't Pretty already. Much. Yeah, you know, so it's it's kind of like it's a you know you don't you don't really know it's a dilemma you know because you could just go Real Madrid you know win the Champions League in max two years but it would mean a lot more for him to win at PSG and that might just be what's on his mind you know every time he decides to like oh I want to leave then he just turns back around you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel like half the time he doesn't even want to leave. It's more a thing of. Let's see how much money we can milk out of this out of this transfer scare this time from them. Scare them a little bit and see see what happens that type of way. But um, I mean, at some point, I think it's going to settle because at this point, I kind of see that it's not about the money for him. It's more about ego. Mm. So if you, as you said, if he's to win the Champions League with PSG when Neymar is gone, Messi is gone, and all of the kind of big, big egos, big, uh, big names, big people are gone and he's just like, the full main character and there's no oh Messi's gonna win the Ballon d'Or oh Neymar is this player you know that type of way so if he's to win it like that despite not having Messi not having Neymar it would be so much more of like the fairy tale Um, he's kind of done it all and then he's just waiting for his Ballon d'Or but I still think that because of the Ballon d'Or he's not gonna he's not gonna continue with these antics um, much longer especially because he still does have competition for it when Messi and margins are fine though because a couple players scored their penalties at the World Cup final and he would be the runaway favorite for the Ballon d'Or right now definitely yeah yeah you you know what I'm saying like and you know that's even another topic of discussion you know why is you know is, is there a little bit too much emphasis on the World Cup when it comes to individual awards you know for World Cup years because Messi's whole body of work this past year is not Ballon d'Or worthy, but, not spectacular, but because he won the World Cup, 
he is the favorite for the for the Ballon d'Or. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if that's justified. I feel like it should be Haaland or Mbappe in honest truth. Yeah. You know, but no, I guess that's a conversation for another day. Mm, I mean, it's something that we'll see when the Ballon d'Or kind of comes out. Yeah, I think that's October, isn't it? something like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna bring bring today's episode to an end. So I just want to say thank you for all the support on our first couple of episodes. Really enjoy it. We'd appreciate that if you're new, you can you know subscribe, like, you know, follow all of our social media platforms. You know, we got um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and then, you know, our Instagram. Because we will have videos coming up soon. So that's where our Instagram will be mainly focused on. So I appreciate all the support so far. We appreciate all the support so far. And, you know, yeah, I think I'll let Femi take us up. Right. So I appreciate you guys. And we'll see you all in the next episode.